Live from Duckburg, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. All right, Tim. I'm really digging this. This is nice. Well, you know, when you're here, life is like a hurricane. Uh, they, got, they got race cars, lasers, airplanes. It's it's kind of a whirl, actually, of everything going on here. Yeah, it's. I mean, I feel a little out of spot, uh, out of sorts, being like one of the few humans here. But yeah, I know. I feel like we should. Uh, not everyone here is a duck. There are some like weird looking dogs or something. So maybe we should just like pop one of those big noses on it, us. It might help. I, I'm not really sure they're going. And... <laughs> not sure they're going to care. I think that could be. They, they seem to see a lot of weird stuff around here. Yeah, um, kind of unusual. But uh, thankfully, we didn't come alone. We brought a computer with us. This yeah. Time. Well, the podcast always gives us the technology we need. We need, and it, somehow it knew that today we needed to be able to use Skype. Yes, because today we have a guest with us, uh, Greg Meyer. Say hello. Hey, I kind of thought that I was supposed to be with the Rescue Rangers, not Duckburg. So I must have <laughs> taken a wrong turn there. Uh, yeah, no, no, no problem. The The podcast doesn't usually give us advance notice of where we're going. It just kind of happens. Uh, I see. Yeah, don't don't blame yourself. No. Uh, we're we're often lost and confused when we get started here. So yeah. Well, at least we're all in the you know Disney afternoon cinematic universe. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I I want to see that. I'm I'm so sad that Ducktales is the only one that actually got a live act or not a live action. I, a live I, action. I don't want to see a live action <laughs> Ducktales. No. Uh, uh, we all saw. Um, <laughs> What's it's called? Oh, oh Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck. No, yes. I, I did not watch that. Thank um, goodness. <laughs> but no, DuckTales is the only one that got a, a big screen movie. And I think they were going to do like a Rescue Rangers movie if they had done better. And I'm sad that it, apparently it didn't. <laughs> I really liked that uh, DuckTales movie oh, when I, I was a too. kid. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I, you could totally do like a, a Disney afternoon universe today. Oh, totally. Oh, it makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're happy to have you on the podcast, Greg. We've been talking about doing it for a long time. You've been a faithful listener, and so you get rewarded by a guest appearance. <laughs> Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been listening since uh, 2010. Uh, yeah, you're the, the OG, OG listener here. <laughs> yeah, that's what the cool uh, kids say these days, I guess. Yes, <laughs> uh, I've been I've been with it. You know, I I have that cred. Thank you for having me on. I'm uh, really excited to uh, be here and to do this with you guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess we did have you on uh, one time with the Children of the Wells crew. Um, well, twice, actually. Once on the sidetrack, once uh, for uh, well, Christmas episode. Oh, yeah. Tw- Christmas 2016. Or the Twilight yes. Zone episode. Yeah, where we did the Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Good times. Good times. Uh, Greg, of course, is uh, Children of the Wells author as well. He wrote The Seekers and the Hidden. Available on Amazon and ebooks wherever you can find them. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, the uh, sequel or the follow up, next Bron and Clea book, is still in process. We haven't talked about Children of the Wells uh, in a long time. It's been kind of like. a, um, slow going. <laughs> but it's not dead yet. Um, not dead yet. But it, it, we we've sort of put it on the back burner. It's still coming. It's it's coming. But it uh, will get there. Nathan has been working on the next one, and he's been busy with uh, Kaiju Vision Radio for a little while. Yes, uh, which has actually been a really interesting podcast. Actually, even for someone who really knows nothing about Godzilla, like I do. Yeah, well, I would if you've not listened to it, I would recommend going and um, checking out everyone. Yep, as well as the Seekers and the Hidden, of course. Yes. 
Yes, yes, available for two ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I like the plugging. All right, well, shall we go ahead and get started with our story school? Well, today we thought we'd talk about adventure. Adventure! Huzzah! <laughs> this actually came up because I had watched the most recent Tomb Raider movie. I'm like, we should talk about adventure. How was that, by the way? It was um, a pretty good popcorn movie. I mean, not like fabulous, but it was a lot of fun to just go and watch. And for my memories of the old Tomb Raider movies, this one was better. Okay. So, But it had lots of vibes of like Indiana Jones. It made me think, we should talk about that. Cool. So we are. Well, one thing, Greg, we were talking about when we were thinking about this earlier this week, we were like, well, how exactly do we define it? It seems like a very simple thing, but venture kind of like bleeds into a number of other genres. And, and we kept arguing about definitions, so we thought we'd go and find a, a good one. I mean, it is really broad. Like, for me, like, when I think about adventures, like, especially when you go into, like, something like a video game, you have, like, adventure games where it's, like, the point-and-click adventures and everything, and then you have games like Zelda, which are completely different, mm -hmm. where it's kind of more of, like, a, a 3D kind of, like, exploration. And so, yeah, even with just with, like, um, movies or, or books, it's just, you can fit so many types of tales within adventure. And I remember going to like a video store and they'd have like an action and adventure section. And I would always be like, well, but those aren't quite the same thing. They often overlap. They, they often overlap. Um, but so we, we went ahead and looked up adventure fiction at Wikipedia, and it was, which is sometimes a really nice starting place. In this case, they had a nice uh, definition from a guy called Don De Amasa, uh, who apparently wrote an encyclopedia of adventure fiction, which I think I might have to look up sometime. But uh, he defines the genre like this, quote, an adventure is an event or series of events that happens outside the course of the protagonist's ordinary life, usually accompanied by danger, often by physical action. Adventure stories almost always move quickly, and the pace of the plot is at least as important as characterization, setting, and other elements of a creative work. So we thought that's a pretty good place to uh, start off on. Um, first off, that it happens outside of the course of, ordinary, of a protagonist's ordinary life. That it seems obvious in a way, but usually an adventure kind of involves a kind of a quest or a journey of sorts, which was why we kind of thought it was a nice follow up from our last episode. Exactly. But I also like the fact that they, they mentioned danger and that it has to move. The, the format of it is much as important as the content. Yeah. You, you know, we were talking about um, like in some ways, the, the Hobbit is more adventure than Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings doesn't move and it's got a lot of different stuff going on yeah and yeah. The, the hobbit's like danger 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 dragon you go from one thing <laughs> to another thing to another thing yeah right it's like a, a bunch of tree branches going into different directions whereas the hobbit it's more of like one streamlined adventure mm -hmm. and i think sometimes there's uh one thing his definition doesn't touch on but i was kind of thinking of sometimes i think the um so starting at the beginning of the adventure, the inciting incident, I think, can really set the tone for whether the story is an adventure or if it's something else. And the example I was using when I was talking with Nick was Taken, for instance, is about a father trying to rescue his daughter who's been kidnapped. But Taken doesn't... So in a sense, okay, that's out of his ordinary. It's a danger thing. It kind of meets some of those requirements. But I wouldn't call it an adventure story. I'd call it an action thriller. So it seems to me that there's there's kind of a tone difference there 
Um, or maybe it has something to do with adventure is something that you pursue as opposed to that sort of case where it's something that's thrust upon you. Right. Uh, something that I've always learned, uh, and I've always taken from like my writing courses, is that wherever you can, you always have your protagonist choose, uh, make the decisions and choose to act rather than have the actions happen to them to make it just a stronger story because no one really, you know, that's not a very interesting protagonist where everything kind of falls into their lap. You want someone that's, you know, making those decisions, whether it's, you know, they're making a mistake or something. They're uh, constantly moving forward and constantly thinking about, you know, making the next choice. That's a good point. And I guess one thing that makes Liam Neeson's character, no one remembers what the guy's name is, just, he's just Liam it's Neeson. Liam Neeson, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I guess what makes him an active protagonist, still, though, is that he is choosing to go track down his daughter himself. He's not leaving it up to FBI or someone else. Well, and I think maybe that sense of, there's no real exploration, it's just event-oriented in some way. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like most adventure, you're in an exotic location, not always, but obviously he's out of his ordinary set of circumstances, but you don't really feel like he's, like, that's not even really the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's not about, yeah, he's, like, for him, it's more like a mission, a war, a battle, yeah. y- you could say, as opposed to, I feel like even someone like Indiana Jones, who you mentioned, even though his, his stories can get darker than, say, uh, Adventures in Odyssey or yeah. Adventures, <laughs> um, but, you know, very different sort of thing. But Indiana Jones is still, like, he's pursuing something. It's not just a battle. It's it's a a project, I guess. Maybe that's that, maybe that's part of the difference. I, don't, I I I mean, again, I don't know if it ma- matches all of it, but I feel like some of the again feel to the think like some adventure is just kind of like the taste of it, you know. Like taking just doesn't taste like an adventure. Yeah. Um, back to our culinary um, <laughs> examples. No, but I think there's a sense of the exotic when I f- think about adventure. I don't know if that's always true, but you know, you think about. You know, John Carter, Mars, or you think about Indiana Jones, or you think about Sky Captain, World of Tomorrow. You think about things that are like, that the adventure is as much for the audience, I feel, in many times, as the character itself. They're like, you're taken out of your normal circumstances into something else. And that's part of the point. I don't feel like Taken is about, oh, I feel like now I'm in another city rescuing. It's like, no, I just want to see him beat up people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing that comes to my mind is that scene in Jurassic Park where the characters uh, step out of their those classic SUVs mm-hmm. and uh, they, they get their first look at a dinosaur and the look of wonder in their eyes. That kind of reaction of just leaving the ordinary world into going into some place where you've, you've stepped in and you're in something completely different. That's a really good point because the latter half of Jurassic Park you, makes you think more almost horror suspense sort of thing. But we do. Right. St- I want to go back to the ordinary world. <laughs> yeah. Get me back there. But, but I think it is. I think you could qualify at least a good section of as adventure, especially that mid beginning middle section. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. The yeah the, the seeing something outside of the norm, particularly for the characters, and and having a positive aspect. I mean, obviously. For the poor girl and taken, that's outside the norm. But there's nothing positive about it. I mean, you have those eventually where like the kids are kidnapped or in what, 
But there's still like this sense of, ooh, look where we are. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, you can have someone taken hostage during an adventure, like Marion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess that has to be something that happens early on into the story, that you have that sense of wonder for it to still kind of have that adventure vibe, I feel and like. And I think that's why adventure, um, it's hard, you know, a pure adventure is hard to make. Yeah. But it's easy to have adventure action, adventure mystery, adventure science fiction, because, you know, you just add that, that, that sense of danger and wonder, mm-hmm. which is kind of an interesting combination, actually. Yeah. You know, let's get dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> which I guess that kind of branches. Okay, so do we think uh, superheroes, are those adventures, superhero stories? I think they can, uh, depending on, well, especially I think origin stories lend themselves to uh, becoming more adventure stories. One story that kind of comes to my mind is when Hal Jordan first gets his power ring when he finds, um, I believe his name's uh, Abin Sur, mm-hmm. who is the just a Green Lantern that's been mortally wounded, and he hands over, uh, basically hands him the power ring which ultimately will lead him into meeting with the Green Lantern Corps. But again, you know, there's that sci-fi element where eventually he's going to be leaving Earth to go to OA, or OA. I'm always kind of unsure how you pronounce that planet's (laughs) name. But, um, you know, basically going off-world and meeting the different Green Lanterns from all the different uh, sectors and, you know, understanding what his new mission is. Mm -hmm. I I think... I think there's, you know, I haven't read a lot of comics lately, but, you know, they'll often say, like, they'll put your superheroes in, like, oh, now we're going to the Fantastic Four will go into some cosmic area, or they'll go into yeah, the... I was going to say that the Fantastic Four definitely is more geared towards, like, going off on adventure. Or, like, some like the X-Men had that, that wilderness area, I forget what they call it. The Savage Land? Yeah, Savage Land sort of thing. I think you can make it a case for, say, uh, The Incredibles, because that's kind of been on my mind a little with The Incredibles 2 coming out soon. Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, you, you got the Mr. Incredible kind of going off and exploring, and then the, as the kids get brought into it, like I mean, for them, it's all adventure. They're mm-hmm. like, this is awesome. We finally get to do some stuff with these powers we've been sitting on for so long. But then there are other superhero stories that probably don't fit into that. I've just been going through the Avengers movies recently to get ready for the the new one. And those probably are not adventure because again, that's more their, their jobs in a sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's bat- more like they're protecting home turf. Yes. Yes. Or like uh cop stories. Cops aren't, uh, <laughs> yeah. they don't go on adventures. They're just doing their job. And that's kind of what the superheroes are doing. Yeah. It's more about uh, having the occasional, like they, where they have to step out of their comfort zone and kind of may- maybe they're going over for like a crossover, like, uh, you know, they're pulled into like a different dimension for some sort of crossover event. Hmm. So I guess that's an interesting thing about adventures. If you become good enough at, well, I guess in D&D terms, you're always an adventurer. But uh, if you become really good at doing that sort of stuff, I guess at some, some point it, those kind of exploits don't become adventures. They just become um, hazard pay. <laughs> well, right. I guess that's why Indiana Jones, why they always try to settle you in the, in the school life. Mm. Yeah, the otherwise, if you're just going from, from you know, one crazy adventure to another, it's, it becomes more action. But, you know, like, here's his normal life. Yeah. And this is out of the ordinary. This is extraordinary. Yeah, that's one of the crazy things about Indiana Jones is that he's he throws himself into these situations a lot, but at the same time, you never feel like 
he really belongs. Like he's always the guy that's constantly has a look on his face, like, "Oh my gosh, I'm about to die." <laughs> he, he's always a little, almost over his head. And I, I feel like that's made this why one of many reasons Anne Jones has become kind of the you know kind of the standard for the the adventure movie. Mm, mm-hmm. A lots of different reasons. You got the action, the danger, and then the sense that he's not a professional. Yeah. Oddly enough. <laughs> After doing it for all the scrapes he's been into, yeah. even since childhood, apparently. Exactly. Right. But I think, too, there's always like some aspect of learning when it comes to an adventure. Like with uh, someone like Indiana Jones, it's like learning more about like the artifact that he's uh, after. Something like that. Yeah, I can see. And I think there's often some sort of, uh, not always, but some sort of MacGuffin, some sort of like or, thing you're searching for. to use for. like the, the usual example, uh, Star Wars, um, Luke learning about the Force as mm-hmm. they uh, go on their adventure. Yeah, because I like the learning aspect. I mean, Luke definitely hero's journey. He's yeah. the classic example of that um, going off on somewhere else. See, like the classic, I'm just going to bring this into a classic literary adventure would be in American history, it would be Tom Sawyer, Huckberry Finn. I mean, they're the adventure of that's true. Tom Sawyer, Huckberry Finn. That's kind of in, you know imprinted in our imagination. Which yeah. is interesting. And the first Tom Sawyer book, he does eventually go on. You know, he has but, adventure in the cave and stuff. But there's a lot of that's just around his hometown. Yeah, a lot of it's just sort of like little comedic. It could almost be the misadventures of <laughs> Tom Sawyer. Yeah, Huckberry Finn's a more pure adventure in some ways. Mm-hmm. Because he's actually going somewhere. I mean, at least once he gets on the raft. He's out of his comfort zone. I mean, obviously, Tom Sawyer, when he's in the cave and stuff, you get into yeah. that territory. And then it's, I guess that's a different term for adventure. Yeah, like like I said, misadventures. Yeah. The, the exploits. The Exploits, uh... <laughs> yeah. That's almost a better thing for Tom Sawyer. Yeah. I wanted to make sure we, we touched on this before, uh, as part of this conversation, Greg. Uh, since I know you are an avid Redwall reader... I think probably, possibly there's some books within the Redwall series that would count as adventures, and other ones maybe have a different flair to them, would you say? I would probably say that almost all of them are probably, you'd probably uh, categorize as adventures. Okay. Uh, I didn't know if some of them had more of a a battle war kind of vibe to them or not. Yeah, I mean, uh, some of them, it's about, more about like uh, defending Redwall Abbey, but like with the first one, it's more about defending Redwall Abbey, but at the same time, Matthias, uh, the main character, he's constantly venturing out of the Abbey and kind of going around Mossflower on, on little mini adventures and coming back to uh, the Abbey as his kind of home base as he uh, learns more about like trying to find uh, the Sword of Martin. Okay, that's a good point. And I can then see that. Um, some some are more Abbey based, where it's all about defending uh, Redwall Abbey. Others are about going out to some sort of, like, fort, like, over the ocean. Usually, like, no two stories uh, that go back-to-back have the same kind of idea, but, uh, I mean, there are definitely, like, templates that that Jakes likes to use with his stories, which, you know, when you do 22 (laughs) stories in your universe... Yeah. I, I think you can be forgiven for that, especially if you write as well as Jake's did. <laughs> um, just for me, it's just always like going back to the, what's nice is I feel like uh, with that series is that the setting is almost a character itself because it, it becomes something that's so familiar that it's always a, just like a coming home whenever you read uh, another book in the series. 
Nice. How many of those have you read now? All of them. And you made it through all of them. Wow, that's impressive. Yep. Uh, but but with that, I would say uh, the adventure aspect of it uh, was always very important for Jake's. Um, I don't know if you know the story of why Brian Jake's uh, wrote Redwall, but I know some things, but not a lot, not all of it. But but basically, and, and it ties in with the the only reason why I'm bringing it up is is that it ties with this uh, subject is that um, he was uh, kind of an eclectic guy where he. Uh, had different kind of jobs. Uh, he was like a seaman and, uh, you know, did like tons of just adventuring on his own. But uh, at some point in the 80s, he was a milkman. And one of the places that he would make deliveries to was the School of the Blind. And he would go in and uh, spend a lot of time with the kids and read them stories. And one of the things that he was really bothered by was that the stories that he was reading to these kids they were mostly just like these angsty kind of stories and for him it was very important that kids just have this sense of adventure and wonder and so hmm. he, he decided to basically create the, his own story for these uh, blind kids and that's when he started penning Redwall and ever since uh, then like every story that he's done like some of the proceeds have gone to that school uh, but that's ultimately why we have Redwall is just to give kids this uh, these adventure stories that they can go on and experience and learn how to be a hero. That's super cool. I, it reminds me of, I, I'm not going to be able to quote it, but something, uh, some ideas J.K. Chesterton has that he prefers, you know, he defends pulp novels because the modern novel of all this sort of like internal angst, he's like, there's more true stuff in, you know, kidnappings and treasures and black spots and that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, and I think, I think the humans want that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and stories have a role in, in access, accessing that. Accessing, yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, and I don't think we always give that enough credit because we, you know, literary novels are rarely adventure novels. Yeah. They get a little glossed over or just kind of dismissed as popcorn movies sometimes and sometimes you know that's you know you, you you don't think about it but i i guess i i i recognize that yeah it's a it's a kids identify with us at a pretty primal level and i think at some point as we grow up we it's like oh it's it just kind of feeds into this adrenaline rush kind of thing and it's it's not just an adrenaline rush it's uh, it really is about uh putting yourself well i mean i think kids understand this more innately because the world as it is is big and huge mm -hmm. and kind of wild um and then as we tame it it becomes less wild we we, we want to go and um claim a new land and find that it's home and you quote quote orthodoxy <laughs> well, well yeah too uh, like you know kids they live under the home of their parents and everything's kind of told to them of what they what they're going to do for the day and they have a set schedule of what they're going to do. And with these stories, and I think one of the reasons why adventure stories are so popular with kids is that, you know, they haven't had that taste of the world yet. And so an adventure story gives them that chance to like, oh, when I leave home, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you know, no one's going to tell me what to do. And I'm just going to go all around the world and see all these places that I want to see. And I think adventure stories... They start that uh, kind of hunger and desire inside of them, mm -hmm. and they can live vicariously, uh, vicariously uh, through these characters and explore these worlds, whether they're real or imaginary.
And the great thing about the uh, adventure story done well is is not just the the fact. I mean, you, you get to explore all these thing, all these things, but also the kids get to put themselves in situations and see what what is the right thing to do in in a danger sort of situation when the stakes are high and they're you know. I would say most adventure. I don't know. I mean, I haven't read a lot of, like really modern adventure stories, but I think adventure stories probably have more kind of just like basic morality in them. Mm-hmm. Not like not that they wrestle over whatever. Just like do the good thing, don't do the bad thing. Uh-huh. Betrayal's and if, bad, and they they often. I mean, you you can get other ideas in there too. Oh yeah, it's not like you. I'm trying to think of an example. No, but that's like them. background. I mean, it's just it's yeah. like a it's it's right. a, a solid background that like literary angsty novels don't have. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I mean, the character should be growing not just in the sense of you know traveling from one end to the other but an adventure is supposed to change them significantly so that they're not the same person as they you know began the story i guess a book that we all just read recently for our book club that fits into this is the book of three yeah because uh taran actually did, did you finish that greg i'm trying to remember if you were reading that or not I'm in chapter five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, well then, but, I, but I'm still, I'm still working on it. But, um, but yeah, but, but go ahead. Well, yeah, Taryn definitely fits into that that mold of uh, a kid who thinks he knows a lot of the outset, and then by the end he realizes, okay, <laughs> I have some growing up to do. I know one one story we did for the book club um, that I know at least uh, Nick wrote, uh, Nick read was um, fantasies. Yeah, and that was uh, that blew my mind reading that because it's a story that doesn't even really have much of an antagonist and there's mm-hmm. a minor one but that's not the focus of the story it's more about just going on a jury into uh the fairyland and uh it's just really a story about watching somebody grow mm-hmm. one other thing i thought you reminded me when we were talking about chesterton and how adventures can inspire us to live a better life i guess yeah. Stephen Curtis Chapman had a famous song called the, the Great Adventure and about how the Christian life is, in a sense, an adventure. And it's, I think it's interesting to think about in that in the sense of Christians believe that we are not in our final home, that, which is heaven. So we're kind of out of our elements in an eternal yeah. perspective. Um, and while I, don't know, I think it's interesting to think about daily life having aspects of danger, of you know the struggle against sin, I mean— the Bible is full of this this kind yeah. of imagery. So I don't know that's that's something that's talking about adventure and how, how it can improve our lives. I think it, it can really change our mindset if we kind of go into that mode. So that's my little moral. <laughs> so what we have learned applies to our lives. <laughs> moment. <laughs> I do Bob's a little like, uh. <laughs> no. Um, I guess as a writer, I think it's worth noting um, just like for those people who want to write adventure to keep it moving, you know, because sometimes that's, you know, can be the, the, what separates adventure from just a fantasy novel or a science fiction novel is that it moves. It just, you know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, every once in a while I'll write a book like that or try to, you know, Stern Fred is not. <laughs> Buckethead is to a certain, mostly. A you know, superhero just, adventure. A superhero right. adventure, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's very interesting from, I don't think it's everyone's natural state writing-wise, but I think it's an interesting um, thing to keep in mind when you want to try such a thing. Would you say Zorism is an adventure? Yeah, I, would, I, think, I think that would be an adventure. Okay. He, he grows a lot, and he's out of his element. Mm-hmm. And what about uh, Unremarkable Squire? See, I was trying to think that. It's like halfway. <laughs> 
I think part of the problem there is that Obed is not your typical protagonist, so, so he, he, he breaks all the molds. He wouldn't feel like he's on an adventure. He was just no. doing but his is, job. For, for the reader, is it? I don't know. Probably. I mean, it's it's a continuing journey, and it's going from... But is journey the same as this constant? And there's not always the sense of danger, either. Well, but I think it's okay for adventure to have periods of rest. It's like a light adventure. Yeah, I mean, it's like a roller coaster. You need those moments. Uh, it, it can't always be uh, drops. Yeah. You need yeah. those moments where you're kind of, like, banking around and doing turns. I, I do want to write a novella sometime that just is, like, action nonstop from beginning to end. Well, that's what Buckethead is. Now and do better. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever read Buckethead, Greg? I have not. Yeah, that's when I say it, it, it never stops, it really doesn't, <laughs> from what I remember. I mean, it's it's been a while. Rereading A Girl Called Story, I was like, man, this has been a long time since I read this. Um, but yeah, Where, how do we get onto that? I don't know. I'll get revised soon here. So, anyways. <laughs> All right. So that's our discussion on adventure. Do we miss anything, Greg? Uh, no. Uh, I think, I don't know, it's something that you can just, I could just talk forever about just because of just how many wonderful stories there are. And just the different ways that you can do that. Yeah, it's true because, like, even Indiana Jones is, is accessible, but there's certain an element of that that feels a little more. Uh, I don't want to say grown up, but you you know it, it's yeah. a, it's on a different level than a lot of your your kid adventures. Yeah. Like, say, Book of Three. Book of Three is right. definitely a children's book. Mm-hmm. I, I said, but one that can be enjoyed by all ages. But it's definitely a different style. Um, not just because it's a fantasy, but it's a different style than your Laura Croft yeah. or yeah. Uncharted, which I need to play more of. If you combine this episode with the last episode, you'll be set for making a really good adventure. There you go. And you you combine may- the journey ideas and then the, the danger, wonder aspect. aspect. And um, you may want to go check out episode 26 for further reference on action scenes, <laughs> which when we, we were concerned at first that there might be overlap, but when we went back and listened to it, no, this was really just on on fight scenes, yeah. essentially, <laughs> and action and that kind of stuff. And I, I would say, too, um, one story that I think ultimately, like for me, is probably the most important adventure story that I ever experienced that actually caused me to you know, want to become a writer was uh, The Never Ending Story, oh, which yeah. is in itself a story about a story. And Never Ending Story is a fabulous it, uh, book. You know, the actions of the book influence um, the world of the reader. Yep. Oh yeah, there's all there's all kinds out there, but if we keep going, listen yeah. to them all. We'll we'll never wrap this up. <laughs> all right. Well, that's our story school. So next, we'll go to our soundtrack. talking adventure i thought i'd take a go to an adventure game because there's a lot of good of those point click games out there and actually a lot of ones i want to do i'm like oh i've already done that song oh i've already done that song but this is from grim fandango which i've never played but it was lucas arts back in the heyday of point and click adventures and it is called the enlightened alaskan and it's remixed by the one and only maze dude ah maze dude ah yes it's been a while when i listened to this this was a little bit more Creepy, maybe. Well, I mean, I guess with Grim Fandango, you shouldn't be surprised. It's a little creepy, but we'll say this is the uh, catacombs part of the adventure. Yes, this is more. The, yeah, this is more the kind of spooky sort of. We're going down atmospheric into, section down into the the tomb with all the snakes and uh, the mummies and etc. Yeah. 
Uh, that was The Enlightened Atlaskin. Hopefully you enjoyed. Hopefully you weren't too freaked out. It's me, dude. I mean, <laughs> there's always a little bit. Well, it depends. He has some like light and bubbly stuff. Does, yeah, too. that's true. Anyways, uh, let's go on to our take on Tales. All right, Tim. So this was your concept. I thought about it because I was talking with Greg a few weeks ago about uh, comics, which Greg is still here. Say hi, Greg. Hello. We haven't ditched him yet. <laughs> so we just thought it might be interesting what with uh, summer season is right around the corner. This episode will probably come out shortly, like right before, if not after uh, Avengers Infinity War comes out, which will really kick off the superhero season. So I thought it might be interesting to talk about kind of the, the current state of comic book media and we and by that we'll cover comics tv and movies so let's go through i th- figure we should start with comic books first and then we'll go into the other ones but comic books themselves are kind of where it all starts greg i know you've been keeping up with comic books a bit more than um probably we have i tend to be about a couple years behind because i tend to r- just read trades whenever i get a chance but i know you've been uh, kind of purposely making a point to uh, order new comics lately. Yes. Uh, well, as a kid, when I was, uh, yeah, like in middle school, that's when I started collecting comic books. Uh, like, I, I really remember jumping in with DC versus Marvel, that kind of big event. I remember jumping into that, and that was my kind of introduction to both universes for the most part. And I would collect uh, the floppies then. And then for years, uh, I think just not having a car and college and everything, it was just hard to make it to the comic shops uh, to pick up like new issues. And then, I don't know, like for the past like 10 years or so, as a kid, I remember in grocery stores and like pharmacies, they'd always in the magazine aisle, you'd always have like the little section for comic books yep, where you could pick that. up like your Spider-Man or your Superman comic while your uh, mom or dad you know, we're buying groceries. Uh, but those are, for the most part, gone. Yeah, these days it seems like the only place you can actually, if you want to buy them, instead, or either you can get them online, order them online, you can get digital comics from Marvel Now, yeah. or does DC have a version? I something think like that? so. Um, Comixology. Oh, Comixology. Uh, I, mean, I mean, everything's kind of on there, but I believe they're not as concerned about uh, having their own proprietary uh, kind of stuff like Marvel is. Okay. You mean DC is not as concerned about that? Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, Comixology is both, is, is a lot of different brands, not just the big two, right? Right. You, you know, you'll find your, uh, I can't say for sure because I haven't, I've made it more of a mission to try to pick up uh, physical stuff, but I'd imagine that you can probably find stuff from like IDW and Image and right. uh, Boom and everything from there. But a lot, of, a lot of the main sources of physical stuff is still comic book shops. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I hadn't been in one in years, and then I, I started going to them whenever there would be like a free comic book day. I would stop in and I would get up, get the free issues, and I, I would also buy like a trade or something just to support the store for doing free comic book day because you don't want to just uh, take and run. But this year, I just uh, after listening to some comic YouTubers talking about how bad the business has been doing for just physical uh, comic issues, I decided that I wanted to make more of a change and try to find a couple titles to pick up every month. So since January, I've been stopping in at least once a month to pick up floppy issues of comics. 
It's so strange in some ways to me that um, the comic book industry is has been struggling so much over recent years when they've kind of exploded in and everywhere else. Yeah, uh, that, it's funny because it, yeah, it's like they're seen more for value for like their merchandise appeal and for their having TV shows or movies or you know your games on your uh, me pods and your uh, Wii pads and everything, <laughs> all those uh, doodads, but not really the not really the comics anymore. They're more of an afterthought. Like the ra- the last really huge story I remember hearing about. Uh, was probably the original Civil War. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate they wind up relying so much on these big event things, which events can be interesting, like the big events like Civil War or the Crisis books in the DC line. They can be neat, but they also, sometimes just the way they've been done, they can create as many problems as they, as much as they can use the hype for selling stuff. And they also have like all these tie-in books, and it becomes a huge mess of trying to track down. Okay, do I need to read every you know every book and every different you know related to this, or they're just a, a set few? And sometimes sometimes they're able to streamline into like okay, these are just this set of books. But I know like so like Final Crisis. Apparently, there was like one in Superman that you, that was really you really needed to read in order to understand the last issue of Final Crisis. <laughs> And, you know, when things like that creep in, then it, why go to the trouble of buying the individuals? I mean, I think, and this is the thing that I've always felt too, the story is really best done in trade paperback form these days. I mean, and this is just me, me personally, I find it a little hard to justify putting in the time to hunt down these things. If I mean, it feels like you have to be really dedicated to reading individual floppies in order, or you're going to get lost. Right, and that was a, a real challenge for me because personally, I do prefer reading a trade paperback over a comic book, but that's just me. And what I just realized is that um, the sales of the individual floppy, di- uh, floppy uh, here I was going to say floppy disks. Um, <laughs> We're not that uh, old the school. Individual issues uh, of the comic books is that those sales are kind of what determines whether that series lives or dies. And so, uh, and not only that, but, you know, when we buy a trade paperback or we read it, like it's either from like Amazon or going to our library and the most important part of like the, the comic book industry, like for comics is the comic shops. And so I want to try, it's not just supplying the money to DC or Marvel for, you know, making these books. But I also want to kind of support these places. Like, like look at Toys R Us. Toys R Us has just uh, gone bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't... Obviously, like, comic book stores, you know, it's not, like, one big chain like a, like a Toys R Us, but... Yeah, they're pretty much always independently owned. Are there any chains for comic book stores? There might be, but I, I'm sure they're rare. I mean, even um, books, regular bookstores are struggling, you yeah. know, like Barnes & Noble. I... I've heard yeah. some some rumors that Barnes and Noble itself probably may not be around for all that much longer, and I think that's a shame. Like, yeah, like I like I like the convenience of of an Amazon, but there's nothing quite like going to a, a bookstore and just with you know a couple hours to kill and just kind of walking around and seeing yeah. what's there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the appeal of going to like a comic shop is just looking through the the individual stands and seeing like all the different titles and being like. Aquaman, like, I wonder what Aquaman's 
kind of why does Aquaman have two titles? Like, <laughs> you know, what's what's in the second one? And, and just kind of like going through that, and you know, may, finding a new title to to read. I always remember Main Street in Kenville. We used to ride our bikes through the comic store there, and it was I bought so many X Men comics back then. And I hadn't done much comics lately, and then I I did some of the Marvel digital stuff just because I could read a lot of old stuff I'd missed easy. But I got Theo in a subscription to, well, it was a kind of a Spider-Man adventure, mm-hmm. like a kid version. It was made, it was made for, for kids. Yeah. But then the, that stopped, and so I needed to pick something else. So now he's getting, like, the Hulk, and I love getting it. Like, I'll read it as soon as he gets done with it, because... <laughs> and. I don't know. It's really exciting again to get these comics in the mail because I don't know if I ever had a subscription. Yeah, we had a comic store. There's not one in Kenville anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's something special about just finding that the, the floppies that you just uh-huh. you know you got part of a story and it's and it just feels different than a trade paperback. It's it's been kind of a fun experience. I don't. If I had unlimited money, I'd get like tons of titles like Exile starting back up and like oh I should get that, but. Well, on that note, Greg, so when you uh, go to the local comic book shop, do you just pick out what you want there, or do you do what they call like a pull list, where you order things through the the, the store, and then you get the, that every every month or every week or however that works? I haven't. Uh, well, I was the second time I went to uh, my local comic shop after work, they asked me if I wanted to do a pull list, and I'm not at that stage yet because I'm I'm still trying to you know since I jumped back in this year I'm still kind of feeling things out and trying to figure out what titles that I, I want to put on that list. Sure. Because uh, I, I think that they kind of want you to have like around like five titles on your pull list, I think. Okay. I mean, it could be different for each store, but I want to have at least five in mind before I, I make that kind of decision. That makes sense. Th- I think it's cool. I mean, I think it's cool that, you know, they'll, uh, you know, put the issues aside for you. Like, I think that's like, I remember as a kid, I was into, um, the Legion of Superheroes, and I was always worried when I'd go to... And there's that fear of going to the comic shop uh, for your monthly comic and having them run out of it, especially if mm. your favorite heroes like like me are more of like the B or C tier of heroes. And they don't get as many. And just so happens that week someone comes in and takes your issue. Exactly. Sure. Have you read any of the Rebirth stuff in DC? I have to ask because I'm a more of a DC guy and uh, I haven't had a chance to really look at rebirth a whole lot yet, but I've been intrigued by what I've heard. It seems like it's been going better than a new 52 did. Oh yeah. I mean, I haven't read it yet. Um, I do have it. I've just been kind of busy with stuff, but I mean, it has Wally West returning in it, which he was missing for like all of the new 52. And Uh so I had to pick it up, but I think DC has just been on like, they, they hit the ground running with uh, rebirth and they've just been looking forward rather than backwards. And that, that's yeah. good. It sounds like they, they actually learned a lot of their lessons from New 52, which is really rough and uneven. A- absolutely. Like, and, and the cool thing, too, is there's just a lot of buzz about them right now. They have these really interesting stories right now, um, like Batman Metal, which is like their um, big crossover event right now. I hope it's about Batman running a metal band of some sort, <laughs> rocking out. I mean, it definitely rocks, um, <laughs> and there's there's definitely a lot of imagery that you could see. Like, yeah, I could see this on like a heavy metal cover. Um, I, but it's just what's great about it is just from what I can tell, just from the covers alone, is just that Jeff Johns is just kind of like throwing caution to the wind and just being like, uh, I'm just gonna. Do, what if there was a 
Green Lantern Batman and he was evil or uh, just like just kind of doing whatever and, and just having fun with it. And I think that's where uh, creators are at their best is when they're just not afraid to experiment and fail. And they just, you know, like, you know, let's do this. This seems like it, it could be a lot of fun. That's cool. That's that's pretty cool. It's interesting. Danielle actually, she has a friend at college. Danielle's a, a my sister. She has a friend at college who's actually really into comics, and she showed her this, and by extension, she showed me. There's a series of Superboy and Robin, uh, where Super Sons, Super Sons, yes, where and the current Robin is actually Bruce Wayne's son, and the current Superboy is apparently Clark and Lois's son. Which the fact that they actually had a kid in the mainline DC universe, I was like, "Whoa, that's interesting!" And they're they're finally they're married again. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Um, <laughs> but and she showed it, it was actually really interesting because Damian Wayne, Bruce Wayne's son, is, is such he's like he's like Batman as a brat, <laughs> and and he's he's such a kind of hard note. I mean, it is. It is mini Batman and mini Superman in, yeah. in a sense, and one way that could seem kind of okay, that's a little gimmicky, but I don't know. At the same time, there's something genuinely interesting about that, so I, I love seeing them experiment that sort of thing. Yeah, it's really Batman just intervening for his son and keeping him from becoming a supervillain. Yeah, essentially. Okay, but I know. Have you follow any Marvel stuff? I have to ask you that because I know Nick's more of a Marvel guy. Not this last time, but the time before that, I made it a purposeful um, mission to not buy any DC books and try to pick up some Marvel stuff that I, I think I'd like. And I picked up some Peter Parker Spider-Man books, which the ones that are done by Chip Zdarsky. Um, I'd heard some really good things about them, and uh, from uh, you know just going through them, like they're they're really good, really interesting stories. And I also, right now, they're working towards getting the Fantastic Four back together. Yep. And so, right now, there's this um, series going on right now, also by by Chip. I think it's Marvel 2-in-1, I think is the title. But it's basically um, the thing in the Human Torch, basically looking for Reed and Sue, going on their own type of uh, Fantastic Four adventures. Nice. Cool. Yeah, and, I, and I'm excited to see them come back, because... They're so important to the Marvel Universe, and, and they have such a different um, purpose, you know, being more of like a family rather than just like a superhero team, mm-hmm. that I, I think it's really been a shame that Marvel's kind of put them aside for right now, and I'm excited to see them come back. Yeah, I concur. <laughs> awesome. And I know there's a lot of, there's some other problems with the comic book industry right now that we could go into, but I want to f- focus more on the positives here. I mean, exactly. there, there's a lot to be on the lookout for if you want to get back at the comic books. I mean, obviously there's some things you should try to avoid, steer away from. Can I plug one book really quick? Yeah. That, uh, I just picked up, it, it's a DC book again, but um, kind of going on what I was talking about before, It's they're, they're a new team. And they're called the Terrifics. And it's kind of like DC's version, uh, kind of a little bit playing on the Fantastic Four, since Marvel <laughs> doesn't have their version. But, I'm, guess, um, I'm guessing it's led by Mr. Terrific, right? Yes. He, yeah. He's kind of like in the Reed Richards role. And, but uh, Plastic Man is on the team, and so is um, Metamorpho. But it, yeah, it's like a, just a team of four superheroes kind of go, uh, going on their own kind of like interdimensional adventures and I, I'm really excited about it. Metamorpho is he the guy that can like 
transmute his body into different elements or something like not transmute. Yeah, he, he kinda has like gray skin with like the purple yeah. like yeah, yeah. outfit. Yeah, he yeah. he's interesting. Or at least his power is interesting when I've seen it done. But okay. We've been talking about comic books a little bit more than I meant to, but it's uh it's a good foundation. Yeah. Let's go into T V. I feel like that'll be one of our shorter sections. Sure. Nick and I have are constantly raving about Agents of Shield whenever Agents we get Shield a chance. Is fabulous. I, I I think it's I still think it's the most underrated of all Marvel T V shows, and I include the Netflix in there. Because I know the Netflix gets a lot more critical love. Although Agents of Shield has been growing more in the critical love, but and it deserves it. It totally des- like every season. I can never predict where it's going to no. go. Yeah, this season's crazy. Yeah, and I don't know. It's a show that's always kind of up in the air whether it'll get renewed. I think it only made got renewed this season because it's Marvel and Disney. Um, but definitely worth checking out if you fell on behind. Catch up with it on Netflix. Yeah, it's like all of them, but the most recent seasons on Netflix, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. Every season, they reinvent itself. Yeah. It's very good writing. In contrast, I've kind of fallen out of love with most, if not all, of the CW uh, DC shows, which makes me sad because, like I said, I'm much, so much more of a DC guy. Even Legends of Tomorrow, which I really I loved last season, um, I just kind of never got back into it after the mid-season break. And then I was like, well, it's a little late now. I'll probably wait till it's all on Netflix. But how about you, Greg? What's What, what have you been watching lately? Yeah. I feel like the CW shows, like, it's been kind of like I, I've been dropping them one at a time and to the point where, like, I've only been watching The Legends of Tomorrow and uh, The Flash. Mm-hmm. I'll probably jump back into Arrow after this season. Just I, I wasn't a fan of the story this season just because I I think Stephen Amell is just a, an amazing actor and just uh, I appreciate what he brings to the role of Oliver. This season, though, I would say... Like, Legends of Tomorrow has really just been a lot of fun. Uh, they've just threw everything against the wall, and uh, they're just having fun. Uh, like, you can tell, like, the show writers are just having a blast every week coming up with uh, the new uh, the the story of the week. I think it's easily the most comic booky of the CW shows. When Flash first came on, it was kind of the the bright spot counterpoint to Arrow's dark moodiness. But then uh, the more it went on, the more angsty Flash became too. And it became pretty much, uh, maybe not as dark, dark as Arrow tends to get in like violent content, but still just as much drama. Whereas Legends of Tomorrow feels like it's always just been, let's throw these characters in another ridiculous situation and see what they do with it. Yeah. I, I think the problem is they've just fallen into a rut. It's the you know the issue with CW shows where it's uh, you have a season long show and then every episode you know other than like the episodes that focus on the story long epi- uh, story long story, it's uh, focusing on just like the villain of the day, and I r- really hope that they switch things up and do something more like doing more two parters or three parters or four parters where it's focused on one villain. At that, that would point. be cool. And just really expanding on, because that's what they do in comics. What I've noticed is these shows have gone through so many different villains from the comic books, and they've spent like maybe one episode on them, uh, when they should be at you know doing like two parters, three parters, and just really uh, making sure it's not over in just one episode. Because it's like, oh, okay, here their first meeting, the villain's gonna beat them and Barry's going to question himself, and Iris is going to encourage him. Oh, we, we were talking about that the other night with my uh, 
future brother-in-law, um, how Barry seems to keep needing to relearn the same lesson over and over, and Oliver seems to ha- constantly having to learn to trust people every you know every other episode. I think that's what makes the Legends of Tomorrow really good too. Is that you have so many different characters, you, you can't fall into the same rut with the same character over and over because every episode kind of focuses on two or three of the different uh, members of the team. Mm-hmm. And so it gives them more freedom. Yep. Yeah, they, they, they should shake that up. And, uh, you know, I, I remember you were saying about having a little more three-part. I remember there was one storyline on Arrow where Oliver was gone for a while and they kind of had to defend for themselves all the his team at home, team Arrow. Yeah. And they had, like, there was, like, one mob boss that they had to basically fight. And it was it was a cool little three-episode arc. Absol- and yeah, they should. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was these heroes that, you know, they weren't as tested as Oliver was. And so they had to team up together and... Uh, take him out and yeah it was probably the best part of that season Mm -hmm. jumping back ship real quick over to marvel stuff did you ever watch any of the the runaways show i did not watch my wife watched it and my general sense was it was like not the runaways because it like 12 episodes and then they ran away (laughs) (laughs) why i mean Uh, my okay i don't know much everything i know is secondhand Uh but yeah it was like the whole first season then they ran away at the end of it and there's a lot more of their parental drama, mm-hmm. like the parents. So it's like it's like they've turned into a teen show, in the sense that like the parents have drama and then the kids have drama. And, and I I don't know why you wouldn't just take an episode or two and get out of there. Yeah. But they obviously want this parental dynamic. I was so disappointed when I heard that because Runaways was a great little miniseries, at least the first. The first arc, yeah. I, it got it got a little too um, quote unquote progressive um, later on from what I and it just didn't capture the same sort of recapture the same sort of vibe. But it was written by Brian Vaughn, who yeah, later went on to be a b- big TV writer. Well, and I think he's probably involved in this. I guess so I just I don't know why don't you know. would structure it. That's how they did it. It's such a weird way to yeah. do that. Again, people watching can tell me Correct why it, why it work. I mean, why it works this way or doesn't. But it's, it's a they're obviously going for a different feel. Yeah. I haven't book. heard a whole lot of vibe yet out of the other Marvel shows that aren't on Netflix. Um, there not, oh, there's that other... Cloak, and, da- Cloak and Dagger? Is, is that a, Has it been out? Well, I don't remember now. It was either Hulu or Freeform. And the problem is all the Netflix ones are like super dark. Yeah. I just can't... I mean, I, I enjoyed Daredevil season one, but it was about my limit of what I really want to... Mm-hmm. I liked Iron Fist. That was the only one I could really... I, I heard that it wasn't quite as um, gory, and I, I liked mm-hmm. the character. And mm-hmm. uh, it's funny, because I, I mentioned online that I, I really enjoyed it, and it seemed like everyone else out there was just like, you liked it? Like It was so horrible. It's the worst one of the bunch. But <laughs> I, I enjoyed it, and I liked the main, the main character. Interesting. Part of me wants to go through the Netflix Marvel stuff just so I can see Defenders because I'm a sucker for team up shows like that. So I just I'm kind of very slowly taking my time through Daredevil season two when I don't have anything else to do. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll try this out. It's just not my style. Yeah, it's it generally not. I mean, there's some cool like there's good stuff like like yeah. every episode you could tell it was really well done. And it just is a different mentality. Yeah. Sometime I feel like we should talk about noir and see that. I'm I'm curious what a Christian perspective on noir would be, hmm. um, because it's it revels in dark stuff like that. We'll have to go and do that sometime. I'll add that to the topic list okay. at some point.
All right, but uh, we're going to be running long this episode, but we're gonna we're gonna continue so, wait, on because you we... guys didn't watch the Inhumans. Oh, <laughs> well, actually, Nick did. Oh, so I'll let him. Talk I, about I, that. I, it was a train wreck. Which Man. is sad because you actually have read I a like lot the of Inhumans. I knew a lot about them. I was kind of super excited about it, and then I'm like, what is this? It's like they took a, some good ideas and chucked all the ideas out and threw them in Hawaii to be a team. I, I don't know. I don't know what they did. It was horrendous. I don't. I don't understand it at all. I mean, it could have. It could have been good. It should have been good. Uh-huh. But it's like let's do a fish out of water story with these Inhumans, and I don't know. No, yeah, Marvel. Should have, they should have just called it um, Inhumans. I can't even. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I may mean, watch it all just because I had gotten halfway through it and I kept hoping it a little better. And every once in a while, you see a glimmer like, oh, that's kind of like glimmer of characters, whatever. Like the guy who played Black Bolt, he did a good job. He just didn't have anything to do. Yeah. Well, the fair thing is he couldn't say it much. Man. Right. Well, it's like how I was with watching the Green Lantern movie. It's really good, guys. It's uh, yeah, there's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why do you have a big head? villain <laughs> <laughs> green lantern i enjoyed at the time but i think it was one of those that just tried to do too much in one movie yeah uh, but speaking of let's let's transition into the movie realm now I, well okay i want to say one more thing about uh, the tv world it's interesting I, I love that we've got more superhero shows than any time ever in history yes. yeah but just because they're there doesn't mean they get a free pass. No, they, they, and humans does not get a free pass. <laughs> this whole discussion, I think, Clark shows that some of these shows kind of need to get their act together, especially if Marvel wants to keep doing TV shows. They, they, they were kind of coasting for a little while, I feel like. What they need to do with the TV shows is the same thing Marvel's kind of doing with movies is find different styles of the superhero. Yeah. You know? Well, obviously, CW needs to do that because yeah. each one. Now, I haven't seen. Have I'm you watched Black does. Lightning at all, Greg? I have not. Okay, I, I, I'm curious if that has a different vibe to it. But again, I probably won't actually get to it because I went through a phase where I was watching a lot of TV because I was trying to keep up with CW. Then I just gave up, um, and so now I'll probably be more of a summer. The great thing about, t- about the TV is that you can take a C level hero and make a cool show about him. That's true. I mean, most of Shield is like people no one's ever heard of. <laughs> That's a good point. Like I said, we're running along, but I do want to make sure we talk about movies. So, upcoming Marvel Cinematic Universe. Obviously, like I said, Infinity War is the big one right now. Yeah. Like when I rewatched Age of Ultron, it really was astonishing to think, and um, the first Avengers movie, how much, how long they've been building up to this one. The whole incentive for making Ultron is essentially Infinity War. Uh, the whole world understanding how big of a threat of you know Thanos and all the people thing was in the first Avengers movie. So in some ways, this this movie has even has the greatest buildup since, well, the first Avengers movie was obviously the first of its kind. Yeah. But this is, I, I feel like, is the first of its kind. And like, this is the first of the events comics movies, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes any sense, which I think is pretty cool in that sense. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing and curious how they're going to handle it. Yeah. That'll be the hard thing. Yeah, because I mean, there was a whole lot of characters they had to handle before. Now there's going to be even more characters, so it's going to be, I think, something unique. At least I hope. <laughs> One thing with Infinity War that I don't understand is, like last year, Wonder Woman was just such a big film, you know, and such a success that I don't understand why they haven't shown her in the trailers. Like I, <laughs> I feel like you know they really should just you know highlight her in that. And you know, where's Batman? 
<laughs> man, if they if they pull the surprise on that, can you imagine how that would just blow people's minds? <laughs> it's the third secret scene at the end. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 punch through the dimension walls. <laughs> yeah, awesome. That, that that would be kind of amazing. Well, uh, yeah, I was thinking about it and. Uh, like I'm the one person out there that's like not super excited about Infinity War. Um, I mean, I think it's cool. There's nothing wrong with it. Like I, a spectacle is cool, but like I, when the year when the first Avengers movie came out and everyone was like super like pumped about it, I enjoyed the Spider-Man movie, Amazing Spider-Man, more. So I, I'm just at oddball, um, <laughs> and I accept that. Well, the downside with, I mean, this is true with the comics, too. The downside with these ginormous crossovers is that it's a very different kind of story. If you if you like the single character focused in an origin story, you really don't get that in a in a big event comic like Infinity Gauntlet or probably Infinity War will be kind of like that. It'd just be lots of scenes with characters meeting each other. Yeah. Even if it's good, even the character interactions are good, it will definitely be a different kind of movie. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. Definitely. And, you know, I'll probably see it. I'm really behind on my superhero movies, though. Like, I still have to see Black Panther, and I still have to see Thor and Justice League. But, you know... All worth watching. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, d- I did see Spider-Man, though, last year, and that, that was fun. And mm-hmm. Wonder Woman. I'm kind of excited to see, like, just where things end up with the dc universe because it seems like if wonder woman hadn't have been the success i think they'd be done (laughs) yeah they would be done but because wonder woman did so well there's this question of just like okay like where do you go from here because they have some hope you know they do and justice league i don't know if you even talked about this on the podcast surprisingly yet but justice league was okay if you went in with certain expectations, you really, I mean, don't raise your expectations too high, which is sad because a Justice League movie should have been huge. These are still probably the most recognized characters. I mean, the, the main three yeah. are still the most recognized comic book characters in America. And the fact that it was kind of lackluster is sad, but considering kind of where the DC universe or cinematic universe was, it's good that it came out a positive, you know, that, that it came out as well as it did. Yeah, I think one of um, the problems with Justice League is for a good superhero film, you really need a good villain to play off of. Yeah, that, not, that was a big problem. And I think that the dark side stuff, it's, you know, an, an apocalypse. I know it's really iconic. But I, I really feel like they should have gone in a different direction with that. Well, the problem, the problem was it wasn't even dark side. It was Steppenwolf, who I had never even heard of. And I mean, I'm not the biggest comic books fan, but I know a lot of DC villains. I had never heard of this dude. I'm like, why did they? I mean, obviously good to pick a, a minor villain. They shouldn't start off with just Darkseid. No. Um, that, that'd be crazy. Just kind of like why well, they shouldn't have shoehorned, I'm blanking on his name, the guy who killed Superman. Oh, oh Doomsday. Doom, no, oh, no, Doomsday. 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 Yeah, they shouldn't have shoehorned Doomsday into Batman v Superman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, that was ridiculous. But yeah, even if you take though a really obscure villain like Steppenwolf, make him interesting, make him do something, and he was just he was so bland. Like Black Panther, I don't know Killmonger from anyone. Yeah, <laughs> but he was an interesting villain. They they developed him. Yeah, exactly. You, you name brand is <laughs> or recognition, I should say, is not the most important thing. It's what you do with a character, and they didn't do that much interesting with Steppenwolf. Now, I still at the end of the day, 
I got to see some of my favorite superheroes do some really cool stuff and team up. And so that's why I was still happy with the movie at the end. But yeah, they, they definitely need to take some lessons. They need to slow things down a little bit. I know they were, they were rushing to get this, to, get, to do their justice league movie, but we really needed more time. We really ha- should have had more time with really each of these characters. Well, that's what Wonder Woman worked for a variety of reasons. One, we got to actually learn who this character is mm-hmm. and develop her. I mean, and I feel like even the the problem too with you know there are things I definitely enjoyed about Man of Man of Steel. I've defended that on the podcast before. There were some good things about Batman v Superman. It wasn't going to be my favorite superhero movie ever, but it, there were things I could appreciate about it. But in both of those cases, we never really got the Superman that people really wanted to see. Yeah. I think we got some interesting interpretations of Superman and a little alternate Superman, but you never really got the Superman people are most familiar with. And it wasn't until this movie that we finally did it. Like it's like Superman was born again in a sense. Yeah. yeah. I would say really Wonder Woman's been the only one so far that's been treated the best. And I think part of that is just, you know, we've had examples, you know, we've had the Christopher Reeve uh, Superman. We've had the um the Nolan Batmans and so we have an idea and an expectation of what a uh a Batman or a Superman should be uh, kind of like their idealized versions. And whereas Wonder Woman kind of was able to do her own thing. And and even though there, you know, there's the Linda Carter stuff, but that's, you know, the seventies really, Mm -hmm. Um, but really she had nothing recent to really uh, play against. Yeah. That made her feel all the more unique. That's a good point. Well, I think that's what Marvel's done well with their movies. They pick characters that people don't have a firm idea of and they, they make a movie version that everyone's like, that's what they look like now. You know, mm-hmm. why don't you go see the Thor movie? I'd never read Thor anywhere. You know, I mm-hmm. didn't care. Um, and like, oh, okay, yeah. this is this guy, Guardians of the Galaxy. Who are you know, the heck? Who are, are these who are these people? Yeah, yeah. Um, but they they sell you the character, and you don't. You're right. You, you know, we have very preconceived notion of Superman, Batman, and that was a hard thing. Marvel for Homecoming with Spider Man. We've done two or three versions of Spider-Man, and they had to make a new version. They, they, and I think they did a good job. Yeah. but It's so weird, though, even now seeing Spider-Man in the uh, Infinity War trailer, he still kind of feels like a guest, <laughs> like, at this point, it, which is weird, because he's Spider-Man. Like, he, sh- he should feel like one of the main characters, but, no, he really does feel like a side character at this point. As much as, as cool as Spider-Man Homecoming was, yeah. it's, it's just so, it just goes to show how, strongly they've the identity they've made of their of your iron man and mm-hmm. your thor and on all this stuff in the mcu anyway the other thing i'm very curious about with avengers is where they go after next year's mm-hmm. avengers 4 whatever that is you've got ant-man and the wasp coming out this summer and then we have to wait all the way till spring to get uh captain marvel which is apparently set in the 90s which is interesting that's an unusual choice and it keeps i guess her out of the um, the aftermath of Infinity War and yeah I don't know I'm I'm very curious where this is all leading and what what happens after that I I kind of expect a reboot of the universe we know for certain that Chris Evans is we know for certain that's yeah. his last Captain America movie yeah or last well, that's, time that's what he says wink wink <laughs> I I, I kind of believe it with him though because I I know he has talked in the past not just recently about wanting to go on and do other things. You know, Robert Downey Jr. could play Iron Man for a long time still if he really, really want to. So anyway, that's that's going to be the big question for the future.
Well, we're running okay. long here, Nick, so we okay. better wrap this up. Okay. But uh, I did want to give Greg a little moment to talk about. Um, you are working on another book now, right? Yeah, I'm working on uh, my novel series, which is based off of the screenplay I had both of you read for my uh, grad school stuff. Nice. And right now, it's really just finding my way, because I'm really just... Like, I've had this story kind of brewing since uh, 2010, and now that, you know, like, last year I was just like, okay, I need to just stop messing around. I just need to go ahead and start working on the first novel and get it done. And it's been a slow process, and at times I think, you know, I, I want to delete everything and start over again, but <laughs> I, I'm trying to stop from hitting the, the big giant red button that resets everything. Um, it's like one big test where you really just have everything that I've learned up to this point as a writer, I'm trying to focus and put it into the story and, you know, take from that experience and, you know, do something original that I'm proud of. Cool. Nice. So does this one take place before or after the screenplay that we read? It's before. Before. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I decided that I wanted to do a couple stories to start everything up for for that next generation. Cool. Nice. Awesome. We cheer you on on that project. Yes. I always enjoy anyone who's writing novels. <laughs> well, and I appreciate that. And I have to say, I really enjoyed a, a girl called Snort. I'm glad. Yeah, I always enjoy when someone likes crazy stuff that comes on my head. So. Yeah. <laughs> the beta reading for a girl called Snort is still ongoing, and uh, hopefully, you never know. We'll see where that winds so we'll up. We'll see where going. that goes. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we should probably get out of this town as much as I enjoyed, or at least go exploring a little bit. Yes. Along uh, the podcast, and then kick us out as soon as we're. I wonder if we can break through security and take a go for a swim in that money bin over I there. Would, that would be golden. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but anyways, for our last soundtrack, uh, we have Greg. But first, we should before we do that, we should oh. let them know our contact info. Oh, we're, that before. Okay. We have to do that real quick. It's contractual obligation okay. with so, our own contract. So first, let's do some contact info. You can find our website at derailtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera. Be sure to be listening into the Weekly Hijack, our spinoff podcast, where we're talking about Babylon 5. Yes, go watch Babylon 5 on go90.com. Not and a sponsor. listen along with us. <laughs> no. But yes, if, if you've never seen Babylon 5, uh, that's go90.com is a good place to do that. Have you seen Babylon 5, Greg? I watched uh, an episode here or there as a kid. Uh, my dad was a really big fan of uh, Babylon 5, a, a huge fan of that show. All people should be huge fans of that show, <laughs> except TKO. <laughs> well, that's, I don't know, that was debatable. An, no. <laughs> an entertaining episode, at least. So if you want, listen to Hijack, even the bad episodes become good. <laughs> Um, Greg, do you have a uh, Twitter handle or someplace where uh, folks online could find you? Yes. Well, first, you can buy my book, uh, The Secrets <laughs> and the Hit, on Amazon.com for two ninety nine. Uh, I highly recommend that. And you can find me on Twitter talking about Dark Souls at uh, Gregzors. That's my user handle. So G-R-E-G-Z-O-R-Z. And I believe my blog is uh, Tales of Greg Meyer at blogspot.com. I'm going to be updating, uh, getting back into writing, uh, kind of talking about the stuff that I would talk on the Children of the Wolves uh, site, uh, focusing basically like the trials of being a writer and, nice. you know, putting it on there. So, yeah. Cool. 
Yeah, the blogs at childrenofthewalls.com have sort of fallen by the wayside. Yes. We just kind of realized that we need to focus on other stuff. Cool. Awesome. So that's where they can find you. And uh, tell us about the soundtrack that you've picked for us. Back in college, my friend uh, Steve and I, we would we made uh, Chrono Trigger remix albums for each other. And this was one of the ones that I chose on my disc for him. It's rare to find a OC remix song with words on it because obviously it's a lot harder. But this one, like, it's always just stuck with me from the moment that I heard it. I'm a big Chrono Trigger fan, um, and one of the my all-time favorite songs, just in video games in general, is Memories of Green. Uh, like, I just think it's a really beautiful song, and this song takes that and does some really great lyrics with that that just evokes uh, a lot of imagery that really reminds me of just Chrono Trigger and time travel, and it's just one of my all-time favorite OST remix songs. It's uh, Forever Until Tomorrow by Star Salsamon. All right. And yeah, Chrono Trigger is a a great adventure, so I think it ties in nicely. Yes. (laughs) Well, that will be our episode. Thank you for listening. This has been Nick. And this is Tim. And this is Greg. Adios. Have a good one.